Welcome to the Not Quite the Afterglow podcast, your chance to see inside the mind of a British 40-something man and his 30-something wife. Not your average couple, but then this is not your average podcast. Hey guys, you're listening to episode six of Not Quite the Afterglow. I'm Richard. And I'm Chloe. Tonight we're going to be talking about some topics quite close to our heart. We're going to be talking about adult topics. Adult topics. That sounds a little bit erotic. Is it erotic? Is it? Am I no. going down the wrong, completely the wrong path there? Or No, because I said adult, not but adult. adult can, oh, I see. So it depends on the diction. It depends on your diction. I'm just getting excited. Yes, okay. sorry. Yeah, it's not that exciting. Okay. So today... I did something that made me feel like I was an adult, like I was a... Hang on, was I there? Uh, no. <laughs> I... <laughs> we talked about secret single behaviour on the podcast before. Yeah, no, it wasn't a secret single thing. But uh, it was one of those instances in my life when I did a task that made me think, oh, you know, I really feel like a grown-up, I feel like an adult. And it does it every time I do this thing, and I've only done it three D- times ever. Are batteries required? Or... No, no, uh, but eggs are needed. Egg, okay. Ba- basically. Fertilised, scrambled. Pasta. Basically, it is making a meringue. I don't know why I've, I can birth a child. People were getting really excited, and now you're taking them on a culinary master course. Well, it, it involves a lot of whipping. Does it? Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> okay. um, yeah, I, I can birth a child. I, I can you feed You can a birth ch- a child. We had two cesarean sections. That's You couldn't birth a child. I can grow a child. You can grow a child. I can feed a child. You know, I can have a, a degree I can have a job you know none of those things made me feel like an adult but the first time I made a meringue which was when I'd already had a child was that, that the first time you ever made meringue yes yeah seriously really? I'd never made one because it just seemed like a complex that's almost like you using an iron yeah I don't do that though uh, only for hammer beads but uh yeah it was the f- it was the first time I'd ever done one was probably actually it was within about six months of us being married so maybe I was trying to be a proper wife but it just always seemed like a scary thing to do. You know, it's so easy to do a meringue. Now I've done one a few times. But I'm sure there are a lot of people that have had those sort of meringue disasters where it, it slides into some dodgy it was It, 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 was, it was actually very nice. I do appreciate you making the effort to cook me nice things, bake yeah. me nice things. But it but it is. It just makes me feel like an adult. You, I, you actually used to have a, a, a website called, what was it called? Oh, I did a I did a small blog um, where I did some baking things for for a little while. Um, it was and it's actually, quite popular. Funnily enough, that's where I got my meringue recipe from because I hadn't written it in my recipe book. So I did actually go back to my uh, to my WordPress blog, blog thing to find the recipe. But uh, yeah, so for me, making meringue is is something that makes me feel like a grown up, and I think it's because it's something that seems very difficult, but also it's something that my mum would do. Right. And, you know, realistically, if I really needed a meringue, I probably would have just said, Mum, can you make a meringue rather than do it myself? It's interesting because my dad, my dad was really very, very shy. He was, um, he died, he died when I was very young, but he was, he was a very shy man. But no one in the entire world would have believed he was shy because every Sunday he'd put his dog collar on, he'd put his clerical robes on, he'd get in a pulpit and he'd, He'd preach a sermon or he'd sing a communion service to a, a large congregation. And everyone just assumed that he would climb up the steps into the pulpit and he'd be, he, he, he wouldn't be nervous about it. And they didn't know that as a family, we'd, we went through hell the previous two or three days while he was practicing his sermon, while he was typing it up on the typewriter or whatever it was before word processors. And now, 
I have to do the adult thing. I have to, I go on stage in front of far bigger audiences than he ever had but congregations. Does, does that make you feel that adult feeling? Sure. Uh, um... Sure it does, because um, you know me, I never prepare anything. I never prepare anything. Um, whereas he would go up with his notes for his sermon all typed up. I will stand in front of a room of you know, 300, 1,000, 2,000 people, and I never prepare anything. I don't go in with a slide deck. I don't go in with notes. I ad-lib. I entertain. I work the crowd and stuff like that. And I, I, I have to sort of put the child aside the minute that, you know, I'm handed a projector, handed, handed a laser laser pointer and I'm getting up on stage or whatever. I have to, I have to stop being a, a if teenager. All else, if all else fails, though, you could just do a little dance. I can. I, I, could do it I, I could explain... Cybersecurity through the power of interpretive dance, I suppose, for an audience. But are there any other sort of small incidental things that make you think, like, oh, you know, I really feel like an adult? Like, I don't know, any, just like a DIY type thing? No, or... I don't do DIY, you know that. Well, no, but. I try not to do DIY. If Maybe if you did, you'd feel like a, like an adult. But I, I have friends who knock up things like, you know, benches in their garages and they, they knock up DIY furniture and stuff in, in no time at all, with no swearing and no loss of patience or anything. And I think, how the hell do they do it? Because I just have no aptitude and no energy to even tackle that's, things That's like why that. I do all the any flat pack furniture You do, because I can't be asked. I just don't want the hassle. Or when you do it, you're like, no, don't just put the dowels in. Put like a whole load of wood glue. So once this thing is is it's never fixed together, I'll just put, add a few extra screws and nails, so it will never ever come apart. Yeah, or we get pre-built furniture. Yeah, the last stuff we bought was all pre-built, all made by a carpenters. Local... Yes, it yeah, was because I don't want to have a flat pack. You know, but uh, when it comes to when it comes to children, uh, quite often the flat pack is the better option. Is it? Yes. Oh, I suppose. The only reason is we go to Ikea a lot, and I love Ikea, not because I buy much in Ikea. I don't, apart from maybe biscuits and the odd the odd bit of carpet from my office. It's about the pregnant people. Oh, yeah. Richard had this big thing about going to Ikea, because, to be fair, a lot of people who walk around Ikea are, you know, sort of couples. Parents-to-be. Yeah, parents-to-be, because it's it's a good place for buying. No, not that we're advertising, but it's a good place for buying sort of if ikea marketing are listening give us a shout we, we, we give you know, us some free meatballs give, give us some money give us <laughs> yeah, yeah I'll, I'll sell for meatballs <laughs> i actually. don't want any meatballs but yeah so it, it's something that you you would often see lots of, of young pregnant couples you know picking up bits of furniture because it is very reasonable and, and then also... you find yourself getting into conversation with them. i found myself do you remember a couple of times was it last time we went there talking to a young couple about don't buy that crib it's rubbish yeah buy the one that's more expensive it's, it's a lot better in the long run and i didn't uh, explain they were having twins and i was like oh god but it's always before i'd say probably obviously before we'd really met when you went there yeah, and I used to feel a lot of angst because I, I didn't have children until I... Hang on. How old was I when I... Uh, eldest was one, 39, 38? 38. Uh, yeah, I was go. 38 when we had our first child. But before we met, you kind of had thought maybe you weren't going to meet no, someone. No, I wasn't going to have, have children. children. No, I'd given up having kids. I'd given up on the concept. No, I, was, I wasn't I was anti-children. No, you just thought it wasn't going to happen for you. And yeah. I, I remember you saying that you would go to Ikea and you would see all these... 
you know, people walking around planning for their families and Oh, it used to hurt. And you kind yeah. you say it hurt, but also it that hurt, it was something that you wanted. And I'm not kidding, this was such a big deal to him that literally as soon as I started getting a little bit of a pregnancy belly when I was first pregnant with Richard was like, we have to go to Ikea. I, oh, I, I, I felt he was going to parade me along. Like, you know, oh, no, I, don't. I'll push the trolley. Don't lift that. It's too heavy. I remember when you told me you were pregnant and I walked around like John Wayne for about two weeks. Yeah. But the the Ikea trip was a was a big deal for you. Massive. And then, and then and, obviously... And again, that made me feel very adult because, you know, I've had... I've owned my penis for 38 years, 37 years, and uh, I need it's to know. It's never done anything well, of note till then, really. Well, it's not, I wouldn't say that, but you don't know if it works. Well, it did work. No, I, I know, I know, but I mean, as a man, you don't know until such a time as you hit the target. You don't know if it works. So, again, yes. you feel adult. That's an adult thing. Yeah, that's very true, actually. Yeah, you're right on that one. Yeah, so it's 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 quite funny because you think you think about the adult things, you know, you talk about making ranks and stuff. Mine, mine, adult stuff. It really is, you know, my my father died when I was very young and I lost a huge centre of focus in my life and it completely derailed me for maybe five or ten years and it's only becoming a father now that I appreciate him. But also, do you remember the first time we got home with our child from the hospital, our eldest, and the door shuts and you're left? Oh, yeah. And you're left, you're, the door, you have to be the responsible door shuts and you think, my else. God. There's three of us now. What do we do? Because there's no parenting class you can go on that presents you for, you know, the, the baby's in the travel cot and, you know, you think, what do you do? Mm. I suppose that's one of those situations where you're not kind of forced into being the adult, but, you you know, obviously with a pregnancy, you know, there's a baby coming and stuff, but it, it, until that line is crossed, until they, until they come out, it, it's not the same. But, yeah, like when you said about your dad, that's a situation where... You know, you're kind of forced to be the adult. Hang on, I remember. We came back from the hospital with the baby in the travel cot. I left you in the house. I immediately went out to get something, and then I got nicked by the police. Well, you went out to get a baby thermometer, which I already had one of, but because I couldn't find it within... about an hour. Because I couldn't find it within the 30 seconds that you'd said about it, you decided that was it, you had to go off to the supermarket and buy one. And I got nicked by the police. And you did, because you... I was trying to explain, look, we just brought the baby home, please don't nick me. You were in the car, and you'd started your engine... Hadn't even pulled away. uh, About to pull away, and you hadn't put your seatbelt on. And they gave me a ticket. Yeah. In a car park. Job's worth. Well, they were just trying to be the adult. Wiltshire, please. <laughs> yeah, maybe they were. I don't know. But again, you know, you think about the adult things. I've done so many things more than my father ever got the opportunity to. I've travelled hugely more than he ever did and been to places and seen things that he never saw and had to deal with situations that he'd never seen or started companies and sold companies and made lots of money that he never did. But in the great scheme of things, sometimes I look back and think, what would he have done? I'd have liked to pick the phone up and say, Dad, you know, can I have some advice? This has happened. What do I do? And I, I've never been able to have that. Yeah, I guess it's one of those things it that, sucks. that whatever age you are, your parents are always more of an adult than you are. You know, so you would yeah, look to, to them. to a degree, but they're not there. So You would look to them for advice and stuff. And I guess, you know, I'm very fortunate. I still have my parents um, and I, I can ask them things and stuff. So it might it must feel difficult for you because you don't, you know, you're the most senior adult, really, of your sort of It's family. hard. It's hard because my, my grandfather was born in 
1867. My father was born in the 1940s, so he's, he, he's the product of an elderly father. I worry terribly, we talk about adult things, I worry terribly that I put off having a family until my late 30s. Well, of course I wasn't going to put off. I didn't meet someone to have a family with. You know, you, you don't have children until you meet the one, until, you know, you know, you're going to spend the rest of your life with that person. But I do worry as an adult that... Um, you know, our children are four and six, and I'm in my mid forties. I worry about being around when they're starting their families, or they're getting married, or they're finishing university and, and living long enough to be able to do that. And it it does terrify me. It's one of those things that really worries me as a as a father. But there's nothing I can do. That they're that that's the dice that have been rolled. You know, you have to get on with it. But at the end of the day, we made two great kids. I've got a great wife who's very capable, and I have to be the adult one to say. If something happens, I just have to make sure that you're left the merry widow. Who do you think, out of us then, is the most adult one most of the time? Me. And the one who's in charge? You. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, when you phrase it like that, I suppose it's you. I think anything with the children, I'm usually the adult. I'm I'm the one who will deal with the stuff. Yeah, I mean, last night you were the one who got projectile vomited on. Oh my goodness. How, How did I you know managed to sort of care for children uh, until the age of up to six having never had a full projectile vomit experience where it was quite comical where not I mean I've had like regurgitated milk but that always happens straight afterwards but this was full-on vomit and it was like from the exorcist and it just (laughs) went everywhere Halfway up I'm the stairs, which laugh. I know. Halfway because up I had the stairs, to clean which is the, the bloody vomit. Up. I know. Halfway up the stairs, which is one of Should the have worst places. In bloody flash cleaning liquid. No, no warning or anything. It just came, and it was just. I was all in your head mouth. To toe. Yes. He threw up in your yeah, mouth. Yeah, my mouth. I luckily was I kind mean, of a bit shut, but some of it went in. Uh, how I didn't manage to be sick myself, I don't know. You just go into like some super mum mode. So we had it halfway up the stairs, the top of the stairs, and then I got him into the bathroom. Down and, the walls. Oh, it was it was crazy. As I said, I it was like a, the I filled a bin line full of cleaning wipes and stuff. It was absolutely grim. How I didn't, how I wasn't sick cleaning up, I don't know. I just went into. I think you have to switch stuff off. Yeah, you I do. Guess, so we were both the adult in that situation because I was trying to deal with him, and you were trying to deal with this carpet and. The walls have both walls as well. It's not even like as you go up the stairs; it was just one wall. It but it was, both it was time. It was timing. You, I thought you were getting the kids into the bath. I'd just taken delivery of two of my bass guitars that had just been restrung by one of my guitar techs and devices, and I, I sat myself down on the sofa, opened up these hard cases, got these beautiful American guitars out, sitting down, ready to have a twang, and all of a sudden, all I heard was, and you going, "It's okay." It's okay. And then obviously he threw up in your mouth. Yeah. So I was just like, what the hell's going on? I just can't believe I never... The only two quiet minutes I wanted in the day. And they to have a twang. To have a twang, yes. I just can't believe I, I'd managed to make it this far in, in parenthood without having been badly sicked on, but also in my mouth. Yeah, so pretty I, disgusting. I can tick that off parenting bingo now. Yeah, and I, I think also, you know, when you get the voices from the back of the car sometimes when, they, you know, you're travelling, it's not the, you know, how long is it? We do, luckily, we've never had that. The kids have never said, where, you know, where are we? How long have we got to go? They, they just come up with a silly question. We play I Spy a lot with the kids. Yes, we do play I Spy. Uh, I think we mentioned this in the previous podcast. Yeah, but when, that was I Spy in the middle of the night when, when it, when you it, were naked. We were both naked. 
No, no. Oh, did I, have we not said about the car one? I don't know. Um, when, yeah, we had a Nicky. pee and it was, and our eldest turned around and said, well, it can't be penis. And we all found that hilarious. As, as I almost crashed into an articulated <laughs> yes. truck. But uh, <laughs> so we played I Spy on the, on the way back to our house today. And, you know, we all sort of took our turns. And I had one that was apparently very difficult to guess. It was bollards, which yes, to well, be fair... To a four-year-old. A four-year-old doesn't know what a bollard is. Yeah, well, he doesn't even know what a word with but is because he came up with all sorts of suggestions. But our eldest, as soon as I said bollard, he said, well, I don't know what a bollard is. Yeah, exactly. So that's why you won. And then... And then Richard guessed Bollard, so then it was his turn to pick, and yeah. he picked one beginning with M. I did. And we're, we're all thinking, motorbike, things like that. It even got to a point where I'd said Maison. Or Maisonette. Yeah, or Maisonette. And what or was something. it? Well, you, you tell our listeners what it was. Mortar. Because a four and a six-year-old know what mortar is. But mortar holds all the bricks together. I said, look, we're surrounded by it. Here it is. Things fall down if you haven't got it. I don't think it's fair. <laughs> to, you're just trying to be ultimately competitive with people who can't compete with you. Of course. I made one last about 15 minutes the, the other week. Yes. Well, either way, it, was, it wasn't it was fair on all of us. The fact that I sit higher than you, I can see things that they can't. Hey, it's called being competitive. You're going to be competitive with your children, aren't you? Always. Well, the thing is, though, when they're that small, it's not hard. <coughs> this is a child who, aged six, a few weeks ago, I took him out for dinner... We went to a fish and chip restaurant. He had an adult large fish and chips. He ate his fish and his chips and my chips. He's a grown boy. He's six years old. I'm 44. He ate my dinner. Yeah, I know. But he he is partly me and I probably... But he's he's skinny. He's he's quite tall, but he ate my dinner. Believe it or not, I have out-eaten you on on occasional things. Yeah, I don't like big meals. I don't like big meals. But then I do like going out and doing things with you as an adult. There are things that, that we do. <laughs> well, we went to we went to a burlesque evening. You used to do burlesque. Yeah, I know. But saying going out and doing things like an adult, uh, adult things with me sounds... I don't mean going like, on, to ominous. some strange country lane with, you know, weird men. I'm talking about going to a burlesque show. We went to a burlesque show in, at Comedia and Bath a few months ago. Do you remember? Yes, it was very nice. But I was completely out of my depth. Yeah, I think... Uh, well, out of my comfort zone. I think you... I think because you're very logical... The way your brain works, you're very logical and straightforward sure. with things. And to a... Like, you, you don't if mind I had, silliness. Okay, look, look, if you I don't had mind their s- bodies, I would not take my clothes off on stage. I don't care how comfortable they are. But seriously, some of those women... Some of those women were very brave to do what they did, and I applaud them completely, but I would because never... Because of people who sit and are judgy on them. I'm not judgy. I felt uncomfortable. But I think I think for you, like as you appreciate comedy and stuff, but when it's very kind of slanted more towards a slapstick or something like that, sure, you I find understood that uncomfortable. That. I, well, no, well. Some, some of the slapstick comedy stuff was good when the clothes remained on. I just found when the clothes came You're off... You're just easily distracted by boobs. It's not that. It's not I like boobs just as much as the next man, maybe better. But, you know, I'm getting to a point also now where in my 40s, I, you know, I, I like to have an early night. And <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just watching. saying he gets easily distracted by boobs because I, I, I will occasionally just flash him and it throws him completely. Yeah, yeah, it completely does. And I'll be sitting in a meeting and I'll just look at my phone and be like, OK. Here, here's, here's some marriage advice for you. Just just flash every so often. 
Not um, in public. Not, 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 yeah, don't do it in public. Not in Morrison's, not to the pizza boy. You know, but particularly if you've, you've, you've not been getting on and you've had a couple of arguments about something. Just get your boobs out. Just do that and then, you know, and then there'll be, there'll be distractions and then you can just go back to level zero. Is that, what, is that why you do it? Sometimes. Okay. I, did, I do wonder, I'm sitting in a meeting and all of a sudden look at WhatsApp and I see these pair of boobs appear and I think, okay, it's made my day. But it also means that I always have to make sure whenever I'm opening my phone that no one can see me. So hey. Yeah, so, you know, heads up to anyone who works with Richard. Because <laughs> he's on his phone all the time anyway. Yeah, so. but it's not always boobs. <laughs> no, no, it's not always boobs. Sometimes I send you pictures of the dog. Yeah, you do. It's far less exciting. Yeah. But, I mean, this, this week I'm... I'm going to be away a lot, but you're going to come up to see me with the kids as well. Yes, yeah, we're going to have a little road trip. Yeah. Well, it's not really a road trip because we're going on the train, so we're having a train trip. You're having a train trip. I'm going to, you're going to come up and meet me and see where I work, and kids are going to get to see my office and stuff, which is really cool. Because this is the thing. Most kids can tell their school friends what daddy does. Daddy's a doctor, daddy's a firefighter, daddy does this. Our kids have no idea what I do. At I, all. I think they just say, you work with computers. Yeah, but they don't know what I do. Sit around in your pants? I don't sit around in my pants. I sit around in an office full of people eating biscuits. Yes, well, it's, it's nice We change the world in small bites, now, that's now what we you, do. Now you work from home a bit less, you can sit and eat biscuits with other people but rather than just by yourself. But it costs me a because I'm the guy who buys the biscuits for the office. I'm the guy who pays for the biscuits But obviously you don't eat them, obviously. No, I don't, because we have a we have a, a bespectacled amazing guy in the office who is like a praying mantis as soon as I open the box of biscuits. He's there, Jammy Dodgers. Jammy Dodgers, his speciality, they're gone. Never underestimate the importance of biscuits in the workplace. I went for a job interview and... Uh, when the, the day of the interview it, it all went very well and I came out to meet some of the uh, people that I'd be working with and it was uh, someone's birthday and they brought in one of those you know those tins where they have all the different biscuits and... I just buy boxes of broken biscuits well yeah the way but, to attack his heart through his stomach. But uh, so they had this tin with all these fancy biscuits in from being someone's birthday and then someone offered me one and I was like oh thank you very much and and everyone was being very welcoming things. And I said, well, I hope they offer me the job because I'll, I'll take it just because of the biscuits. And they gave you the job. And I did get the job, yes. I went for my first job interview after university and I remember phoning up this job advert. The job advert was in the Daily Telegraph newspaper in the job section. My father found it for me. It was a tiny little advert about two centimetres by two centimetres. And it was a company in Harlesden in northwest London. And I phoned the guy on his mobile. Now, for mobile, don't think iPhone don't don't think smart smartphone we're talking in the days of car phones where there's a rubber duck area on the roof of the car and the car and the and, and the mobile phone is the size of a car battery the you know huge thing and the line was so bad he gave me a, t- a time and a, and a place for the interview and I couldn't hear him and I didn't think to write it down oh. and so I turned up I, I got the train up to London I had my suit pressed my mother sent me off with some sandwiches and off, off I went to London from rural Kent to northwest London where it was an experience because I'd never been to an area that urban and that suburban and that metropolitan before that was actually also really dangerous, really dangerous area of Well, I don't know, London. to be fair, you were in Folkestone. Yeah, but Folkestone's <laughs> nothing compared to Halston where the police go around in threes and they serve you KFC through an, a, a grill. Um, and I turned up a day, a week and an hour early for the job interview. And they thought I was so keen, not so badly organised, but so keen, 
they gave me the job. And you met that guy. You met that guy recently. I and, did. You know, we're still very good friends, and you know, he's still my mentor, and I still think the world of him. But we're still very close. Twenty five years it's, later, it's one of those things. I mean, that would never happen nowadays. No, not at all. They, uh, they wouldn't let you in the building. No, he was like, "What are you doing here?" I said, "You invited me to join you." He's like, "Yeah, next, 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 next week, isn't it?" Um, in fact, next Thursday. Why are you here now? I couldn't hear your phone call. I I wrote it down wrongly. So I went in for the interview, got the job immediately. He's just like, "You're really keen, aren't you?" I was like, "Yeah, you're hired." Yeah. I and thought, that, fool. And then that that made history. There we go. But I I was thinking the other day, my first paycheck after university was this princely total of eleven and a half thousand pounds a year salary basic before any commission or anything like that. Do you, do you know the irony of that? The irony of that is. Uh, when I finished university, my first statement from the student loans company was for more than eleven thousand five hundred pounds. I think. <laughs> yeah, I know, but the, you know, eleven and a half thousand pounds in nineteen ninety three, twenty four years ago now. You know, do you think about how many tens and multiples more? You know, you take home now. It, it's staggering. Yeah, you know, that was that was the days when when you could buy houses for you know twenty thousand pounds. I it? remember my dad offering to lend me the money to buy a house in Wembley, and I not liking Wembley and not liking London said no, Dad. You know, don't worry, these property prices will never take off. That house now that was forty thousand pounds that flat in Wembley, and now it's probably worth about three hundred and fifty. So more for me. Yes, but then if you'd lived there, you would never I wouldn't have, have met wanted me. to live there. No, I would never have met you. And then we wouldn't have this podcast. But we would have you would have, if you lived there, a short journey to IKEA. I would. See, it all I goes would bring cross around the corner. Yeah, I had three very, very happy years living and working in northwest London. Uh, it taught me a lot. It taught me that I don't want to live in London. Now I go back to London what, three or four times a month. I get in and I get the hell out as quickly as I possibly can. I can't stand the place. I really can't. It just It's one of those things, very adult things, where you make your decisions in life about where you want to be. And I'm i am happy being comfortable here in the West Country. And, you know, maybe, maybe I'm just boring. I don't know. Or maybe you just really like good cheese and cider. Like I, I do. do. And the West Country does cheese and cider better than anywhere else on the planet. It really does. Although when I, when I spend time in Boston and stuff in, in Massachusetts, they have a lot of like craft cider companies that are pretty damn good. Yeah. But you have to have hard cider there. If you just you have do. regular cider, it's got no alcohol in. We have a company down the road, Melksham Cider Company, that do, is it called Black Rat? Yeah. Do you remember I bought two plastic flags? One of them exploded. Yeah, it's because you had it in the garage for just a little bit too long. And it actually physically three litres exploded. And the other three litres I drank. And I just remember after about two or three pints, I couldn't actually feel my legs at all. I couldn't feel my legs. I, you could have put a pin in me, I wouldn't be able to feed them. That's the thing. If you have it's like anesthetic. If you have cider like a scrumpy cider, it can get flat, it can get you when cider. you're it can get you when you're sitting still. That's the thing because uh, yeah, like a, a more of a scrumpy one where you haven't got the bubbles or anything, the gas. I think it you you just don't notice it as more. You drink it like a very straw flavored tramp we have we have we have cider and cheese evenings don't we sounds very middle class very adult but we do that is an adult thing because who you know who realistically would would have cheese as a as a meal we have cheese there's a we live uh on the somerset border and the next town over to us is Froome, made made famous by jensen button and the fact the foo fighters played there at cheese and grain recently uh but they have a cheese shop they have a cheese shop in the high street, just Sa- off the high Sa- street. Sagebury cheese. Sagebury cheese. And I went in there to get uh, some cheddar. And what happened? 
You spent £42 on cheese. I spent £42 just on cheese. and, and Nothing else, And when cheese. he came out, I, I didn't chastise him or anything. My first thought was, this man is is the definitely the one for me. Do you know what I bought with the first ever pay packet I had as a I teenager? I think adult things is restraint, by the way, but yes. I had read somewhere that John Lennon, the first pay packet that he ever got in the Beatles, he went out and bought like 34 packets of Jaffa cakes and then early 1960s the 34 packets of Jaffa Cakes and he got to about the fifth packet and never ever wanted to see another Jaffa Cake again so when I got my first pay packet aged about 14 or 15 from the garden centre I was working at I did exactly the same thing I think I went and bought like 10 packets of Jaffa Cakes and a copy of the Sunday Sport because I had boobs in and see very adult I looked older than I was and I got to again about three packets into the Jaffa Cakes and thought oh I never want to touch one of these Jaffa Cakes ever again is that Copy some kind of is that kind of some Jaffa barrier that yeah. people reach? Yeah, I, I think you can only manage like thirty six Jaffa cakes. I, and then... I think I could probably only eat about two. We used to have competitions as teenagers how many custard creams and Jaffa cakes you could get in your mouth. Maybe we should do that for the next. No, podcast. I can't do it. I think I remember getting like eight custard creams in my mouth or something. Just and what the two things you could die. You could actually die doing it. So we went very okay. Adult. Maybe that's not a good but idea. But things like drinking as well. When you're a teenager, you think you can drink. You think you can drink hard liquor. You think you can drink anything. And then it, the first thing it does do is it puts you off drinking. Yeah, I, I, it's like, I remember drinking whiskey as a teenager and then did not touching it for like fifteen years. Yeah, even the smell used to make me feel sick. I think I think lots of people go through that. You have a bad experience with something and then you can't, you know, look at Bacardi breezes ever again. I sat up one night with a, with my best friend and drank a stolen bottle, a, a purloined bottle of Chivas Regal whiskey, the entire bottle. So much I got a nosebleed, and my girlfriend walked all the way from Elam to Stelly Minutes, which is like imagine quite a distance, because she was so worried about me. And I thought, wow, I'm not an adult. I'm I, I'm still a child. I can't do these things. And you suddenly realise that the stuff that you do as a teenager now, looking back, was preparing to be an adult. You think you're an adult. You think you're capable. You think you're grown up. You think you're fighting whatever ghost it is that you're trying to, you know, prove to your parents that you're finding your feet. But you're not an adult. I think the minute you turn around and say, no, I'm an adult, you're not an adult. But I looked like an adult. That was the problem. You know, I was six foot three with a hairy chest and it must have been appalling. But, you know, you look back and with angst and think, God, the amount of stuff I did that I regret or the amount of stuff I did that I thought was really good and at the time, you know... It's it's kind of that age. teenage sex. I mean, what was that about? And I know I you thought like, you were being adult and it was really great, and then as you get older, you realise actually it was. It wasn't really. Rubbish. The, the sex was pretty rubbish, and you know it's probably rubbish for both of you. And you look back and think, oh god, I just wish I hadn't bothered. Yeah. Well, no, I wouldn't say that, but no, genuinely, I wish I hadn't. Wish something. I just hadn't bothered. No, I think the thing is, when you're in those teenage years, you're walking that fine line between doing things that make you feel like an adult and you can, you know, in your head you think you're being an adult, but then at the same time you can do the opposite and be more of a child. Um, I remember doing that uh, definitely because we uh, would get the bus up to Swindon to go shopping sure. and we could we could get away with paying for being a child fare for the bus, oh, which was, God. I don't know, probably under 15 or I something. I never got that. And then I remember that same day that we'd been on the bus... We then went to the cinema, but I think we were seeing like a a 15 rated film. Sure. So then we were being over 15 for that. And I'm not entirely sure what age we were at the time, but we were just managing to, you know, put ourselves either either side of the bracket. 
I remember going to see some, I think it was Coming to America or some Michael J. Fox film with my then girlfriend who I dated all the way through school. Um, and I had a beard or the makings of a beard. It was pretty Did good. You, that's the thing. This is going back to being an adult and not being an adult. You probably thought you had a full beard, but it's only no, no, now but if I you did, grow one, you realise it but my, was a my real beard. But my beard's white now when it comes through. But I used to be able to grow a beard very quickly as a teenager. And now the thing is, when I grew a beard, I probably looked a lot older than I was. And I remember going into the cinema in Canterbury. It's still there. And the guy behind the counter saying, oh, yeah, as your parent, you get in for half. <laughs> and I was thinking, what? I'm sorry. And he said, as a parent, you get in for half. And I said, I'm not, I'm not a parent. I'm a boyfriend. And he looked at me as if I was some dirty old man. Wow. There you go. Appalling. Well. Again, you don't think about that. You don't think about percep- people's perceptions. They think of you as an adult. They look at you as an adult, but you're not. You're a child still. Yeah, I know you said you used to get that a lot. Because I did. Told, I used right? to go and buy porn for the sick form, buy alcohol for the sick form. In fact, we had a we had a little side racket. My friend, his dad died, and he had he had a, a adult shop, and an adult uh, shop, an adult <laughs> shop of pornography. And uh, we used to sell the pornography in school. And you know, one would be on lookout, one wouldn't, and uh, one would be selling, and we'd be selling this porn. And I kept some of the porn for myself. And uh, I was praying that when Phil, my best man, at the wedding, came up with the stories of law, the stories of old, that he wouldn't, and he almost did. But he did mention, I think he did mention, that I had this pornography on the inside of my locker door. Yeah. When we got locker inspections, and there was a Amazonian woman with a... Legs akimbo. Legs akimbo, with my face cut out on a passport photo, pasted... In right situ, in the, right in the middle. And this French teacher, Dick Young, couldn't have been any more scary. And he opened the door, and I was just like, "Earth, open up and swallow me!" Just. And then you have that. Oh, it wasn't me. <laughs> My head sticking out of her vulva. Horrible child I was. I hope none of you are listening to this before you go to sleep, because you'll just have nightmares. I was a horrible teenager, I really was. But hey ho, the fun we have. And Phil might even be on the podcast in a couple of weeks' time. We're going to be doing one recording in Kent in a couple of weeks, and he's already said he's happy to be on it, so it could be fun. Well, that's because you don't get to see his face. It's perfect. (laughs) He and I both have faces for radio. That's why we're popular at it. You do. Thanks for listening to episode six. See you again soon. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can subscribe via iTunes on your Apple device. If you are an Android user, we recommend using CastBox, available free from the Google Play Store. Find us on Facebook. Search Not Quite the Afterglow.